That psalm has a question in it that is in a lot, a lot of psalms. I don't know if you heard the question. The question was, how long? And you might, you probably did hear the refrain in that psalm, come and save us. How long? Have you ever prayed like that? You know, when you're suffering, time seems to slow down. Am I right? When you're in pain, a minute suddenly got longer than a minute. We can pray like this, how long, how long, how long? We are coming to a turning point in the story of the Gospel of John today. We're now <laughs> at the point where Things are not just about demonstrating the nature of Jesus. Things are going to turn now and aim right at the cross. And that's, that part of the story begins here in chapter 11 of the book of John with an interesting story. One of the most amazing things that ever happened happens in the book of John, chapter 11, and that is Jesus, a man, raises Lazarus, another man, from the dead. But it starts with a how long moment. You read in John chapter 11, verse one, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It's funny because that story is in chapter 12. We, are, we haven't read that story yet here in the book of John, but he points out Mary, the same one. Now the readers of the book of John would have known that story, but uh, it's a little bit of a preview. You could have written it like this. It was Mary who is the one who will anoint the Lord with ointment, it happens later after this that she does that. Anyway, it was her whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters, now that's the first time we're told they're sisters and that, or well, that they're Lazarus's sisters. The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, the one you love is ill. 
Now this is a cry for help. Lazarus is sick and apparently he's so sick that Mary and Martha decide uh, we need to get Jesus over here. Why would they want him? Because he is the great physician and they have personally witnessed him healing many people of various sicknesses, even deadly ones. So they send and they say, Lord, the one you love is ill. Now we know they weren't just informing Jesus that Lazarus is sick. They want Jesus to come. Now you might say, how do you know that? Well, I read the rest of the story. And in verse 21, later on, when Jesus finally shows up, Martha goes out to meet him. I think she's not particularly happy with him because the first thing out of her mouth is, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Imagine saying that if your brother had just died. If you'd been here, he'd still be alive. So we know Martha's intention was that he come because that would preserve his life, that would heal him, that would save him. What a strange thing. When Jesus heard it, Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. I think maybe a better translation of that would be this illness does not end in death. It is not intended for Lazarus to end up dead of this illness. That's not what this illness is for. Then he says what it is for. The glory of God. This illness does not end in death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus is sick, going to die sick. And that is so that the Son of God may be glorified through that sickness. Now, as we read on in the book of John, we're going to find out something about what it means for the Son of God to be glorified. In fact, if you have a Bible, you could just look right over at chapter 12, the very next chapter, and read this. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. What's Jesus talking about when he says the purpose of this illness is that the Son of God may be glorified? You see, John, the apostle, the writer of this text, is telling us something. He's telling us that this event in the life of Lazarus is really an event in the life of Jesus. It is the thing that gets him killed. Lazarus' illness. Jesus is not just talking about how he's going to demonstrate again that he is in fact the Son of God sent by God, the Savior, the Messiah. He's demonstrated that, right? He's healed the blind man just in the previous episode. He's healed the lame man. He's walked on water. He's fed the 5,000. He's turned water to wine. He's demonstrated over and over and over again he cannot be anyone other than the Christ, the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh, as John puts it in chapter 1. This story is about more than that. It certainly is that. But it's about more than that. It's about the hour has come. I'm thinking, what an appropriate story to tell on this, the week in which the church in general begins the preparation of our hearts and minds for the story of the cross and the empty tomb. Awaiting. Awaiting. Jesus announces the purpose of this illness that will kill Lazarus is that it will get him killed. Now, we don't typically think of dying as glorious. And that's why Jesus keeps having to say to these disciples, to everyone around, the, the, time, the hour has come. You, you might recall, if you read through the book of John, he keeps saying the hour, not, not yet, not yet. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And in chapter 12, he's going to say it has come now. But this announcement of the glory of the Son of God, our Savior, who is our Savior because He died for us, begins with a wait. Wait? Not yet, not yet, not yet. There is the strangest statement here in verse 5 of John 11. It says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's not the strange part. <clears throat> we, we hadn't been told that. Well, we kind of did because Martha's message said, the one you love. 
And then John confirms it. Sure enough, Jesus loved these people. These people were special friends of his, we might say. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed away two days longer. What? Now, if you were reading this in some translations of the Bible, this, this is such a big what that they changed the word. This is not a good translation. They, they say in, in an, well, if you're reading the current version of the New International Version in English, it says it like this, so. He loved them, so he stayed away. In an older version, it said, yet he loved them, yet he stayed away. Well, that's not right. That's not, I looked it up. In the Greek, in the original text, it's so. Because he loved them, he stayed away. That doesn't sound right. By the way, I just want to make you aware in the in the Dutch translation of the Bible that we typically use here, uh, they also have this wrong. Just want to let you know. I, I looked it up because this is important. So, what? What? He stayed away because he loved them. Not because he was afraid to go there, which he should have been. We'll find out. But because he loved them. In other words, in the end, it will be better for Mary and Martha and Lazarus in the end, it will be better for him to not go right away. Now, the very next thing in the story. So he heard that Lazarus was ill. He stayed away two days longer where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. That's the very next thing. The only thing he did about this was wait two days. Wait. Wait. I want you to put yourself in the position of Mary and Martha and Lazarus waiting those two days. Mary and Martha, during those two days, watched their brother pass away from this illness, waiting. Where is he? Where is he? They can pray like the psalmist, how long? I, it doesn't take this long to get here from there. He said, let's go back. Now, the disciples are not for that. They kind of liked that he waited, but not for the same reason he was waiting. Why? He says, let's go back. And they're like, um, mm, are, what? Go back to Judea? What? 
They said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Just now, that's the end of chapter 10, right? Because he made himself out to be God, and there they picked up stones. Somehow he escaped. They're saying, look, you can't go back there right now. By the way, Bethany is like next door to Jerusalem, in case you don't know. It's like on the other side of the valley. So they say, uh, they're trying to stone you. You shouldn't go back there. And Jesus has, as he often does, a sort of interesting response. He says, aren't there 12 hours in the day? What's he talking about? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not on him. He's saying, look, while it's day, we've got to do what we've got to do. There's a limited amount of time to do what needs doing. So, yes, now. And he goes on. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. (laughs) And the disciples say what you would say in that situation. Look, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. In other words, he was sick, sick, sick. But if he's able to sleep now, that's a good sign. He's, he'll, be, he'll get well. And if he's just asleep, why do you have to go there to wake him up? By the time you get there, he'll be awake. We're going to find out it takes a day to get there. So he says, so they say, uh, well, if he's asleep, then he'll be fine. So Jesus clarifies. He says, no, I mean he's dead. I'm using asleep like we sometimes use to talk about someone who has died. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Okay. And then, again... I want to encourage you, when you read your Bible, try to remember, try to think like this is the first time you've encountered this from Jesus. Or what, how would you respond if you didn't know the rest of the story like you do? How would you respond if you were in the place of the disciples here? He says, no, he's, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Again, it's this echo of Jesus loved him so he didn't go right away. Lazarus is dead, so, but I'm glad I wasn't there. Think of Mary and Martha. I can imagine John, the writer of this, going, you're glad you weren't there. What about his sisters? If not him... 
What was it like for them that you were not there? Why is he glad? Well, he gives, well, one reason. It is for their sake. For your sake, disciples of mine, we might say, for our sake, disciples of Christ, so that you may believe, so that you may be pushed deeper into your trust in me. But let's go now. Let's go to him. Now, Jesus has already said what he intends to do, right? Awaken him. I'm going to awaken him. Thomas, this passage closes with this statement from Thomas. Let us also go that we may die with him. These people are all crazy, aren't they? Let us also go. What, what is happening here? Jesus has said, this is why I'm going. I'm going, he's dead, I'm going. If it kills me, I'm going. And really, once we know the rest of the story, we know that what Jesus is doing here is, it's going to get me killed, so I'm going. I love them, so I'm waiting. Now that, I'm, now that Lazarus is going to be raised, that's going to stir up so much trouble that it will bring us to the cross, so I'm going. Now is the time. Now, Thomas doesn't understand all of that, but he is moved by the love of Christ for Lazarus and for Mary and for Martha to go the courage. And he's saying, look, we're with Jesus. If he's going, we should go. If he's willing to face what he has to face to go to be with his friends, then we will go too. It's kind of like Peter when he says to the Lord, I'm never going to let you die. Or when he actually grabs the guy's sword and goes after him. He's saying, look, if Jesus is going down, we're going down with him. That's what Thomas says. Let us also go that we may die with him. I think he's saying more than he knows he's saying, right? That happens a lot in the book of John. It's going to happen at the end of chapter 12 when the high priest says, isn't it better for one man to die for the nation? He's resolving the question 
All these leaders are going, now that he's raised Lazarus, what are we going to do? He keeps doing these signs. What are we going to do? And Caiaphas, the high priest, says, well, we're going to have to kill him. That's what we're going to have to do. I don't think Thomas was, you know, too aware. But we have this in the book of John. People say more than they know they're saying. Let us go that we may die with him. It occurs to me that uh, him saying, let us go also, is a reminder of that theme we had in chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and they follow because all these disciples went right with Jesus to Lazarus' house. They follow. Why? Now, in the moment of the cross, they're all going to abandon him for a moment. But they're all going to be back. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. Now, I think the disciples, including Thomas, have, have, have overlooked the little bit about I will awaken him. I think because, well, people don't come back from the dead. So if someone says to you, I'm going to raise him from the dead, you, especially if it's Jesus, you must think he means something other than actually that. Even now, Bible scholars who don't much respect the history of Scripture don't think Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. That this is some sort of spiritual figure story. Some sort of parable. But of course, John didn't think that. And he won't think it about it when Jesus is raised from the dead either. The very pathway of the story depends on the fact that Lazarus actually died and Jesus actually raised him is absolutely essential to the story. There's no reason for Jesus to be crucified if he doesn't raise Lazarus. It's when Jesus demonstrates that level of power and authority in our lives that the Leaders decide he must die. And Jesus engages in this on purpose, as he has already said. Nobody's taken my life from me. I'm laying it down, and I'll take it up. But resurrection is hard to believe. So Thomas says, well, let's go die with him. <laughs> Which is right. Which is right and good. Paul says something like this in Philippians. 
He says that I may participate in his suffering, participating in his death, that somehow I might participate in his resurrection. So the story of Lazarus is full of these little hints and symbols and allusions. The death of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus is the occasion where Jesus says, I am the resurrection. We're going to have to preach on that in another time. To me, I'm intrigued by this line from Thomas, let us also go. And I just want to challenge you with that question. Do you say, let us also go that we may die with him? If I have the life of Christ, I can say that. Let us also go that we may die with him. In fact, Jesus is going to say something like that again and again and again in the next few chapters. That part we read. (laughs) When he says the hour has come, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. Now he's talking about himself, but by the time he's done with that little paragraph, he's talking about you and me. Let us also go that we may die with him. If I engage in the suffering of Christ, I engage in the joy, the love of Christ, the reflection of his love in this world is a suffering love. And Jesus says, or Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We can say the same. For the joy set before us, for the joy granted to us in the very act of love, I can pain myself for the benefit of someone else. Especially for the announcement of the message of this good news. It is because he loved them that he waited. That led to suffering on their part. And their endurance of that suffering led to greater joy in the end. This question, let us also go, that we may die with him, It really boils down to one thing. Do we trust him? You see, Thomas encountering Christ Christ says, I'm going. And Thomas and the disciples have a decision. Go to or not be with him. Those are the options. I can go also, or I cannot be where he is. Jesus humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself. If we follow him down to the bottom, we're still with him. You see, Thomas prized Christ 
more than he prized his own life. And if I have a true understanding of Christ, given those options, it's not even really a hard choice. Do we trust him? Do we trust his care even when his care is not obvious to us? Do we trust his care when it's not clear for the glory of God? And his care of us is for the glory of God. Not us. It's a means. Our salvation is a means to the praise of the glory of God's grace. It's not the ultimate thing. It's aimed at the ultimate thing. Do we trust his care? Do we trust his timing? That I find often to be the hardest bit. We are promised a day in which he returns and resurrection is ours. How long? How long? How long? Do we trust his timing? His understanding of the situation. Here's something I know about the understanding of the situation in this story. Jesus knew from the beginning what was going to happen, what it purpose it served, how it was going to be used by God, everything. He knew. You can tell by reading the story. Now, I think sometimes Jesus didn't just know everything that was going to happen. He depended on the Father for this sort of knowledge. But in this instance, he knew. He knew. He says, "Mm, we're going to wait a couple of days. He completely understood that His waiting a couple of days was going to result in the death of his good friend and the misery of his good friends. But there was something bigger, more joy-bringing that would be made from it. I don't guess I can understand God's care or his timing. But I will trust it. I will trust it. Why? Why do you trust this Jesus who hears about his sick friend and waits two days on purpose? The answer is this, he is risen. That is why. They put him to death, partly because of what he does here in chapter 11 of this book, and he came back. He is who he says he is. He is the one who has 
made the sacrifice for sin, for sin to end all sacrifices for sins so that all I do is rest in him and I am reconciled to a holy, righteous God. And he says he will raise me up on the last day and he says he will give me eternal life and I believe it. I don't just believe it, I count on it. I trust him. And in the storm of life today, I know his word says he is providing for me in every possible way from knowing every angle with perfect knowledge of my situation and perfect love for me. So even those times when I don't see how or when, he cares for me. He's a good shepherd. So I trust him. His sheep hear his voice and follow him. Will you say with Thomas, let us also go, that we may die with him. In the death of Christ is the resurrection for all of us. Father, we give you thanks for the good news of the gospel of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to uh, rest in the assurance of your care. There are times, Father, when you seem absent. We want to know how long are you going to wait. Lord, help us to remember to believe that your timing is perfect. Lord, help us to care for one another during those seasons, to come alongside, to encourage, to share the love, the reminder of your great grace in Christ. Give you thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.